Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, dear listener, to Fear from the Heartland. I'm your host, Paul J. McSorley. Set aside some moments now and take an adventurous ride on a journey into the psyche of some talented writers. They will dig into your being and titillate you. Oh, I love that word, titillate. While the stories may not all take place in the Heartland, I am delivering them to you from the Heartland. My intention is to strike fear and confusion into the mind, soul, and yes, the heart. This is Fear from the Heartland. Hello, Heartlanders, and welcome to Season 5, Episode 9 of Fear from the Heartland. I'm your host, Paul J. McSorley. Hey, Heartlanders, you guys patrons yet? Visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to join the club. You'll get ad-free versions of this and all our other podcasts, including hundreds of standalone releases from our audio archives dating back to 2012. It's a great way to show your support, and you get a whole lot for it. If I was paid to sleep, it would be my dream job. My friend dreamt he wrote The Hobbit. I think he was token in his sleep. He also had a nightmare about being trapped in Panama during a snowstorm. Turns out, he was just dreaming of a white isthmus. <laughs> Same friend with flame tattoo sleeves walks into a building. Security stops him and says, There are no firearms allowed in this building. He went on to tell me he was going to get a tattoo of an elephant on his ear. The only reason he was doing so is so that when people would ask him, Why do you have a tattoo of an elephant on your ear? 
he could tell them, don't worry about it. It's ear elephant. <laughs> Dreams and tattoos are themes tonight from Eli Pope and Hank Belvin. Let's get after it. This tale is meant only to toy with the possibilities that powers we can't define or understand may in fact exist despite our attempts to ignore, define, or expunge them from our world. It also paints a picture that true heroes can and do come in all sizes, shapes, and ages. We'll just let you, dear listener, believe what you want to believe. After all, in the end, we're all on our own and we'll answer to whatever is there. And now for your indulgence, The Inkist by Eli Pope. One. Timmy stood close to the shiny champagne-colored box, his hands trembling as they cautiously gripped the smooth, rounded edge. His eyes wide open with shock, his lips clamped tightly, fighting every urge he could muster to keep from squealing out in horror. He knew what he had just seen. He also knew no one else would believe him. Even his mother said what he had witnessed last night was just his imagination. Timmy... The mind plays tricks on us when we lose someone we love so much. I know you want your Uncle Robbie to be alive. I know you think you saw his lips moving. His mother hesitated a moment before she continued. Honey, the human body still moves sometimes, even when there's no life left inside. There are gases that cause slight tremors. Add our minds toying with our emotions like games telling us we see what our heart and eyes ache to see and feel. Uncle Robbie is gone, though, Timmy. His soul is no longer inside his old shell that is left behind. He's in a better place now. He doesn't hurt anymore, son. But Mama, I saw his mouth move. I swear. And I heard him say to me, Don't let them bury me. I'm still here. Please, Timmy. Timmy then burst into uncontrollable tears. And now as he remained trembling... He suddenly knew what he had seen last night at the visitation, and he knew what he had just witnessed. Uncle Robbie's soul was still in that damn box, that steel casket, helplessly held in his body and begging him to save him. He thought to himself, but what could a ten-year-old do? No one was listening to me. No one was doing anything about it. They had all said their goodbyes and were relieved in some weird sense of the word that he was now home with Jesus. But I wasn't. I saw his lips move. I watched as the paintings on his arms began swelling like waves that rolled up the beach coming to life. The snake that surrounded the dagger and the bright red heart began to slither. The wheels on the Harley spun. I saw them. I know I did. Because the skulls that always scared me called out in desperation on his behalf. Save him, Timmy. Save him. We'll never frighten you again. Timmy's grip on the metal casket began to slip as his mom tugged on his forearm. It's time to go sit down, honey. It will be okay. We'll get through this, I promise. I'll help you. But mama, he's... Timmy suddenly looked out across the crowd of seated guests, friends, and family of his uncle. Why wouldn't any of them listen to me or even look at me? He asked. And then he saw familiar eyes that always had given him shivers. 
eyes that shouldn't be here. Eyes that belong to the demon who etched all those colorful, cool, and scary images onto his uncle's skin. The Inkist. A man whose presence always brought fear into his heart, shaking nervousness to his body he couldn't control upon seeing him. He was the man responsible for today. He knew it in his heart, body, and soul, and there was nothing, nothing he could change. Timmy's mom tugged harder on his arm until his fingers could no longer remain clamped tight. He was failing at helping his best friend, his closest real family, the man who had been with him through all of his turmoil, the only person who truly understood him all ten years of his life. His mom navigated closely behind Timmy and steered him down the row of seats to the only two empty places on the second row back. He wanted to scream out so desperately, but he knew it would do no good. He knew it would bring harsh punishment when they got home. His mother hated being in the spotlight in embarrassing ways. She despised unruliness in any fashion. He had already pushed his luck last night when he hollered out that his uncle was begging him to help save him. Timmy, I know it's not easy. I know you're only ten, but damn it, don't act in this outrageous way in front of Robbie's family. Robbie's gone. I know how important he was to you, but he's gone. It's all your imagination. If you don't straighten up... I won't be able to let you attend the funeral tomorrow. I'm sorry, Timmy, but it's time for you to grow up just a bit and accept that all life comes to an end at some point. Robbie isn't suffering like he would have had he lived through that horrible accident. I'm sorry, son. It's life and we need to be brave, say our goodbyes, and be thankful for all that we still have and then move on. We'll always have memories of him. He'll always be in your heart, Timmy, if you invite him to stay and I know in my heart, Robbie wants to remain in your memories and soul. And that was that. There was nothing more I could say, were his last thoughts. There wasn't anything else after that mom speech, and he knew it. It's why he had only looked out across the somber faces instead of screaming bloody hell like he really wanted to. He yelled to them that Uncle Robbie was still trapped in his dead body, the body that would be put in the ground and covered up later this morning. Timmy held these horrors inside. Like a grown man, he kept a tight lid on his desire to create a horrible scene that may possibly delay burying him long enough to save him. To a stranger who happened to be watching Timmy as he sat, would see a boy who was strong, polite, even though grieving. Inside, though, Timmy was fighting desperately to hold himself at bay, words he had heard his mama tell him in the past, to be the grown-up she expected him to be. But inside... Well, inside he felt like a frightened traitor pointing his uncle out to the enemy like Judas. After all, he must have been the only one Uncle Robbie was able to reach out to for help, and he was failing miserably as he was quiet as a church mouse. 2. There are so many things a ten-year-old boy faces in his young life that no parent, friend, or even pastor at the only church they had ever been to, hears about, or for that matter, as any inkling even exists. After all, a young boy never really knows who he can trust his deepest thoughts with, with no rebuke, no unjustified wrath doled out upon himself if what he shares of things he's done or just thought about doing. Simple things like the fact he knew every square foot of the church's rooftop he attended. Fact was, that roof during summer days was his and his best friend Billy's secret fortress. 
they could shimmy up the rock siding onto the flat roof's asphalted top and after sitting behind the air conditioners in the middle, would remain unseen from anyone pulling into the lot and going in. Walk quietly and slowly with careful calculation, and no one inside would ever notice the footsteps lightly pitter-pattering from place to place like squirrels or pigeons. Or maybe the time they actually put out a fire in the field out back. Of course, they were also the ones who accidentally started it by playing with the can of Lysol and a lit candle, which makes one hell of a flamethrower they had learned about on some Saturday morning news show. Or maybe the crazy daredevil jump from the railroad crossing over the creek he and Billy had ridden their bikes off of and barely survived. There were all sorts of stories he could tell if he wasn't afraid of the butt-whooping they would bring, along with the possible laughs and awes. The secret life he had lived being afforded to pretty much roam on his own until the nightly dinner bell was rung. He didn't feel like he was any different than any other kid his age, and that made him think their parents would probably be like his and not believe a word of such crazy things like he had seen and heard. This was different, though. This was the first one he didn't know how to tell and make it believable enough for someone to listen past the inconceivable parts to even begin to listen all the way through and take the word as gospel from just a kid. The pressure that this was causing as Timmy sat blankly listening to the preacher's words go on and on, knowing that as much as it were just a blur in time, as soon as it was over, the drive to the cemetery would follow. And that would bring the end. The point passed any time of saving his uncle. He pictured in his mind at how he'd feel. Once he reached the point, the last scoop of dirt was piled onto the champagne-colored casket, holding his very best friend, who would be trapped forever inside as he was forced to get back into the car and leave him there, starting over like Mama had said, until Uncle Robbie was quietly forgotten by all of those attending today. All except for him. He would live with the horror of knowing his uncle could have and should have been saved by him. The only one who knew the truth, other than that fucking Inkist. He believed the artist must certainly be the devil himself. He also felt as if that devil was watching him very closely, ready to pounce if he attempted to act again upon what he was asked to do. Save me, Timmy, were the words he heard over and over as he pictured his uncle's lips quivering and straining to push those words out. All the while, his painted pictures on his arms played out stories of their own, vying for his attention to realize his uncle needed his help. If his mother only understood the pressure laid upon him, she had act differently. He knew she loved him deeply. He just wished she believed him. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. 
Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Three. The preacher's lips seemed to drone on and on with talk that didn't feel like anything Uncle Robbie would have wanted or been interested in. Words that rose in volume going up high and then dropping back down to the tempo of tissues being pulled from the various locations throughout the pews. A sigh here and a sniffle there like notes being directed from the maestro standing at the pulpit. Uncle Robbie was a loved young man and young men shouldn't leave this world in such a quick and unexpected way. He would definitely be missed, but there needn't be any damn sermon uncorked from a preacher faunching at the bit to gain souls when he's supposed to be talking about the man in the box. It seemed inappropriate in Timmy's eyes. He wasn't sure he had ever looked at the preacher in the same way he did before today. He knew the important thing happening. The fact time was ticking down like a timer wrapped around a stick of dynamite, closer to triggering the explosion of the package and he needed to be the hero by warning the bomb diffuser the minutes were short. But then again, the longer he preached his sermon, the longer it was until burial of the casket. A quandary any kid could buckle under and fail. Timmy's body began to quake with more thunder as he heard the preacher ask if anyone would like to share a memory they held involving Robert Sperry, his uncle, who had been brought to this specific point in time because of a terrible motorcycle accident only mere days earlier. Imagining the scene had kept Timmy up into the wee hours every night since he had been told. He, of course, wasn't allowed to go to the scene, but he had stolen glimpses of what was left of his uncle's twisted and broken Harley from the television news and newspaper photos. He had heard how the driver of the vehicle who had hit him had been an old widow and how she was twice the legal limit of driving intoxicated. She, of course, had suffered only minor injuries and been arrested at the scene, not even able to remember the pain and suffering she had brought, and the fact that pain and emptiness would grow tenfold and spread wider as the news made it across the tiny, tight-knit community. Would my mama kill me or disown me, or maybe hold my arm tightly in her grip if I attempted to stand up and run to the altar, proclaiming Uncle Rob was alive inside his casket and begging to be let out and saved? Would anyone even listen to me? Would they rush up and check for proof after I reopened the lid to show them? Or would they all just shake their heads, feeling pity for the poor little broken nephew who couldn't accept the fact a person doesn't often survive the massive injuries involved in a motorcycle accident such as his uncle's? Timmy was in a very difficult position to be, especially for a ten-year-old. It was a situation of life and death. It was his uncle, by God. There was a huge mistake being made, and there would be repercussions of an irreversible nature if the plants proceeded in the way they appeared they would. What to do, what to do, the answer I see, so hard to chew, hard to chew. The silly limerick rang out in a macabre echo trapped inside his head from way back in nursery school. Harsh decisions being laid upon the shoulders of a typical young boy in a small one-stoplight town. Serious weight being laid upon the shoulders. For God's sake... No adult, let alone a youngster, should ever have to face these kinds of dilemmas. Tick, tick, tick. The minutes melt into seconds as they slip away faster than grains of sand can drop through the tiny funnel of an hourglass. The world Timmy lived in seemed to have come to a slowed stop momentarily, allowing all of that pressure build, 
brick after brick being stacked on top of him. Images of his uncle clawing desperately at the satin-lined interior of the pretty metal box he never would have allowed being placed in if he were capable of denying. Timmy knew the oxygen was being stolen at a fast pace. The thought of his ordeal overtook his senses and his abilities to remain seated in silent quivers of agony. The walls moved in closer and closer, pushing the other guests, all dressed in their Sunday black, ever so much closer to him. He could feel the fabric of his mother's dress nestling tighter into his arm, the roughness of the wool jacket sleeve of his grandfather's suit being shoved closer into his other arm. The room was shrinking, no doubt about it. This wasn't just his imagination. The devil was controlling this sanctuary. It were as if he was being squeezed together by those he loved, pinched between the walls of some great huge vice, the spindle being turned in 360-degree tight twists, wrenching everyone tighter and tighter into one. What in hell is happening? Timmy questioned inside his thoughts. Timmy struggled to look around the room as it shrank, the air becoming more difficult to suck in as the ceiling compressed closer to all of their heads, while the floor continued rising up to meet somewhere in the middle, moving the jaws of the vice ever so closer, clamping everyone together ploddingly. He struggled to turn and spy where the Incas was in all of this. The demon he knew was responsible. What debt was he collecting to bring such a horde to Uncle Robbie and the people of his home? What curse was being fulfilled? Timmy begged internally that these questions be answered quickly. He begged for the strength and ability to rise above all of those pinched so tightly together in their seated positions so he could run to the podium and wring out the urgency of stopping this horrendous action. But then their eyes met. Is and the Inkists. Everyone in the room blended, being dressed in their Sunday best except for him. Timmy's mama had even made him dress up, knowing his Uncle Robbie expected him to be in jeans so he could take him riding on the Harley every other day he'd meet him. My uncle hates suits. He hates all this bullshit going on while he's trapped and counting on me. Words he was thinking, and for a brief moment wondered if he had spoken them aloud. The Incas, on the other hand, wore dirty, faded, and grungy blue jeans, a grimy old man t-shirt, while his multiple tattoos stood out against the dirty white background of that sleeveless tank top. His wife beater is what Uncle Robbie always called him. The tattoos on the Incas' arms were not welcoming or pleasant to the eyes like his uncle's. These instantly invaded his soul with scary, evil, and twisted darkness, begging to reach out and suffocate the life from any who were unfortunate enough to lay their sight upon them. They were also moving, slithering throughout his skin, interweaving amongst themselves like a ball of snakes knotting themselves together in their nest. The sight was mesmerizing at first, and Timmy had to fight in order to reel his focus back from them. His heart pounded a big bass drum thump inside his chest. He felt himself being hypnotized. Was it an attempt to refrain the actions he knew deep inside he needed to act upon? The Incas' face snarled a hissing smile as if he knew his power would choke any desire from Timmy acting on and making his move towards the front. Timmy suddenly felt he could face his fears of what his mother might do to him afterwards if he failed his ludicrous attempt of saving the soul from the one who was already dead and gone. His uncle's withering sanctuary was now likely fermenting through the aid of the formaldehyde injected into his body so it could stay a mummified, tattooed carcass entombed in that goddamn metal box forever. 
The contents held an eternity within the deep, dark dirt hole with no memory left behind other than the flat marble stone with his engraved name quickly hidden by the weeds, overtaking the once painful memory before fading into wilted, decaying dust left blowing in the wind. No! Timmy's word innocuously shattered the loud silence. Eyes began to snap open from the entranced attendees. It appeared as if his voice had been loud enough to draw some attention of the surroundings, pushing slowly against them. A shattered barrier awakened enough to push back from being slammed closed. The action unable to be put back inside the boy it was once held. The Incas rose from his seated position midway from the front and surrounded by a sea of black that somehow reflected his crimson red eyes, those of evil demanding the attention of all. You conniving and conspiring little misfit of a fuck. How dare you interrupt what I've created and enabled? What's happening here? Do you even know what you're doing? Do you not recognize who you are fucking with? I could twist you into a pretzel, boy. Timmy sidestepped his way slowly down the row of stiffened legs until he reached the aisle. He was mere steps from his uncle's casket. He watched the devil that had inked his uncle's artwork over his body through the years. The images he had once revered but now despised. Their eyes interlocked as the Incas began to step to his right towards the same aisle, mocking the young boy's movements. What he apparently did not notice were the small, agile steps Timmy took backwards, edging himself closer to his uncle's smooth metal container. The devilish artist continued to spit his arrogance from his cold lips as Timmy became within reach of the lid. The preacher's lips continued to move as if he were still speaking his sermon, yet there were no syllables escaping his mouth. He was nothing more than a mime, devoid the thick, painted white face with the droopy black lips, his hands and arms propelling in jerky movements mimicking string-tied puppet limbs being controlled by an unskilled puppet master. The congregation's faces remained frozen in time, appearing as if they were watching but unable to respond with any emotion whatsoever. Timmy watched as his nemesis pushed his way through the ocean of legs blocking his path to the aisle as they bobbed back and forth like buoys being bounced by waves on a once calm lake. He took the oddness of the entire moment into his young psyche. He had dreamed nightmares like this in his past and now wondered for a second if that was exactly what this eerie happening was. Could all this just be a dream? He questioned internally. Timmy spied the cross that was placed on top of the lid earlier after closing it. He coyly reached, grabbed it quickly, and in one fluid motion, drew back like a pitcher's windup for the delivery of a fastball and threw it with all his might. End over end, it whistled through the air with a dead aim headed for the intended target. He swore he could hear every turn and twist of the wooden crucifix spinning through the air like a thrown axe. Whoosh, 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 and then... Thud. The Incist smiled a wicked and satisfied grin. He had bested the foolish young boy who actually thought he could outwit an age-defying angel of darkness. It only took seconds for Timmy to see the devil had snatched the crucifix from mid-air inches from the chest it was targeted. His grip was tight, his hand white-knuckled. He hissed, Such a wily little pest you are. I admire your tenacity, I suppose. 
I'll take great pleasure of turning you to my side, the dark side. Your uncle succumbed without ever realizing. The ink became the vehicle that overcame his strong will. A slow poison, a therapy if you will. <laughs> he cackled in the otherwise silence of the shrunken cube they now resided. My inked masterpiece he became. It took hours upon hours of dedication on my part. I had to place more focus on Robbie, letting others pass to the next level that I'd had my sights set on. Your uncle is a fine specimen, little Timmy. The Inkist reveled in his accomplishment, all while placing blame for having to let so many pass to gain that win with Robert Sperry. His eyes penetrated Timmy's as he stood faltering beside the casket, holding the soul won over by the demon. I see the same value in you, Timmy, he hissed. You can be with Robbie once again, you know. A heavy sigh was released as he continued. All it takes is submitting your skin to become my canvas, like your uncle did. He suddenly held a small needled gun in hand and pulled the trigger, causing a buzzing sound as the small needle moved up and down in tiny bursts. Bzzz. An image filled the white wall behind Timmy. It was huge and blank, except for the crucifix attached and hanging in the center. The image was of Timmy lying on an odd black chair, his arms stretched out as the Incas huddled over him, tattoo gun in hand, buzzing as it etched bloodied images into his young soft flesh. Bzzz. The cackle of the artist rising above the buzz of his instrument. Timmy began feeling nauseous. His stomach rolled as he felt the tiny burning vibrations upon his arm. It forced him to look, checking to see if there were in fact lines being inked into his skin. A look of shock washed across his heated face as he watched a dark black line appearing on his skin. It traced across and began forming what appeared to be a bird, maybe a crow or raven. His arm burned, his intestines rolled, tears began to form in the corners of his eyes. He looked out at the congregation, seeing nothing but rigid, unchanging bodies seated in a frozen and emotionless trance. He scanned them all until his eyes fell upon his mother's. He quickly spied matching tears that had formed on her face, darkened mascara-inked droplets sliding down her cheeks. She knew. She somehow comprehended what was happening. The snatching of her boy's soul right before her eyes. Timmy's heart ached at the devastating sight his muscles unable to be moved. He closed his eyes in defeat, unable to face the pain of seeing his mother's brokenness. 4. The Inkist stood in victory as he viewed his spoils being turned. His darkness had won once more. He smiled at the ease of his mastery. He understood at this exact moment, after all the millennia, the reason the Creator had hurled him to the darkness in rebuke. The Creator had feared his power had become stronger than his own. He was cast aside in hopes he would shrivel in fear and loneliness and die in extinction. Well, <laughs> he cackled, I guess you were mistaken. <laughs> he laughed as he took in the power of his moment, overlooking the scene he had created. Not just one soul 
a two-for-one. The Inkist was so busy boasting his own evil accomplishments that he never noticed little Timmy reaching up and slowly pushing the lid of his uncle's metal sarcophagus up and open until the Inkist felt the crucifix still held in hand becoming cold, numbingly frigid. A feeling opposite to what made him thrive, he looked down at the burning sensation, seeing ice crystals forming on his spindly fingers, spreading to his wrist and quickly crackling up his arm and spreading like a conquering army invading with intention. His eyes were the last part of his body to freeze solid. They were wide open in distressed shock, just before a final chilled mist exited the open casket and surrounded the Inkist. In an instant, his body made a crackling sound and crumbled in from the top down, toppled to the wooden floor in a tiny pile of dust that quickly slipped into the cracks of the oak planking. Timmy leaned over and on his tiptoes peeked into the metal box. The crowd that was once frozen like silent statues returned to a moving mass of congregants listening to their pastor's words as he pointed to Timmy and his uncle who now stood outside the casket that once held him limbo. It's a miracle, fellow believers. He lives. Robbie looked down and watched as the last of his once ink-filled arms held nothing but disappearing scar tissue receding back under the skin to reveal clear, uncolored, and virgin flesh. He looked to his ten-year-old nephew and stared into young, fresh eyes. He was speechless. He knew what Timmy had faced and conquered. He felt the love and strength that lived within his young best friend's soul, and he was thankful for him. He knew words didn't need to be spoken between them. They both understood, even though no one else could ever fathom the battle they had shared. Sometimes, it's best to just leave things be and give thanks. I sure hope you enjoyed tonight's tale, The Inkist by Eli Pope. Eli Pope is a major writing contributor for Fear from the Heartland. Eli began his love of creating stories back in high school creative writing classes. The passion laid dormant for decades while life took him different directions. The stories never left and he finally succumbed to the voices in his head telling him to put them on paper. And put them on paper he did, earning the Literary Titan Award for all five books of the Mason Jar series. The Judgment Game, The Spark of Wrath, The Glass House, The Reclamation, and Snapshot Into a Killer's Mind, which you, dear listener, can hear on Audible.com, performed by yours truly, Paul J. McSorley. The only thing I will tell you, Billy J. Cater is a bad dude. You can hook up with Eli Pope at his website, elipope.com. That's Eli, E-L-I, Pope, P-O-P-E, dot com. He can also be located on Facebook at author Eli Pope, or search groups on Facebook, The Mason Jar Room. After horrific industrial accident leaves an unnamed man paralyzed for the rest of his life, he begins to seek refuge from the pain by forcing himself to sleep for longer and longer than normal. After an incredibly long bout of slumber, he wakes up in an entirely different world. Or 
did he wake up at all? And now, for your indulgence, A Dream of Tunnels by Hank Belbin. Remember, the entrance door to the sanctuary is inside you. Rumi, 13th century. I had a wife once, eons ago, but I can't remember her name. I can't even see her face in my dreams anymore. I must write all this down before any more of those memories leave me for good. Since waking up here in this cold infernum, so many of those thoughts have faded and been extinguished forever. Like lone flames in the endless darkness, and all that remains now are these dull echoes of the past in the twilight ether of my mind. Every time I sleep, those remaining memories fade a little more, and soon my old life will be as obscured as my own identity. I don't know what's real and what isn't anymore. I don't even know how I got here. I don't even know my own name. I must start with what I remember for certain. I was born in Boston, just after the Second Great World War of the 20th century. I know that for a fact. I stayed there and worked in the dockyards for many years. I met my wife around this time, and I can't remember any more specifics other than that, and that she often smelt of lavender. God damn it, what has happened to me? I guess I remember the dockyard the most vividly. The smell of crude oil and the salty spray of the sea against my face. The interminable gray skies. There were rows of warehouses in a small construction manager's office at the far end of the dock where my desk was. I think it was blue. It had metal stairs and a handrail leading up to it. I think now the reason why I still remember this place is because that it was here that caused the whole thing the circumstance which brought me to this point in my existence. It was a cold day when it happened. It was raining hard and I couldn't see much beyond 20 feet. Everything was a blurry gray smudge. Even the rows of ISO containers ahead were almost indistinguishable from each other. That's when it happened. Marching down the main thoroughfare, I heard a foghorn blare out somewhere at the edges of the mist-covered dockyard. Then, as if coupled with the sound, I felt something move closer behind me. It cast a shadow over me in the rain. My head darted around, expecting to face some giant monster lifted right out of my childhood nightmares looming up over me in the downpour. But instead, it was the back end of a lorry reversing closer, bearing down on me. I barely had a moment to scream or slap the back of the van to alert the driver before it hit. It pinned me against a concrete barrier and I felt the crunching of my legs between it and the rough wall at my back. For an instant, the pain in my legs was agonizing and then I felt nothing from my stomach down. I sagged down into myself and almost vomited. My head fell against the back of the lorry and felt as if I were about to pass out. The pain above my waist was indescribable. My vision blurred and all I could see were these specks of orange people in high-vis coats all coming towards me. The pressure in my skull throbbed, and I think I heard someone ask me something. 
but the pain took over and everything went black. I wasn't sure how long I was out for, but I eventually awoke in a daze with all manner of medical tubes and ECG monitors hooked up to me. They had taken me to Boston General Hospital A&D and I had woken up a week or two later, so they told me. Everything apart from my legs burned. The sensation in them remained elusive and I knew why. Beyond that, I had only a vague awareness of where I was and what had happened. It was all a blur. I was in a complete daze and my eyes would not focus and adjust to anything. I laid in the bed and all I could make out were the doctors and nurses that moved swiftly about me in a hazy smear of shadows against a blinding white backdrop. I briefly recall now I was lulling in and out of consciousness when I heard the doctor explaining to me that I would never walk again and in all likelihood would be confined to a bed for the rest of my natural born days. It was like a single spear right through my heart. What would life be without mobility? After he left, I sank back in on myself and slept. Time meandered forward without definition. The hospital kept me on a steady supply of pain relief medication. As a result, I spent a great deal of time heavily sedated or unconscious. I can only assume I must have been in that ward for over a year because the leaves fell off the trees twice outside my window. I hated the place. There was an old man in the bed opposite me. He would do nothing but stare vacantly at the ceiling and it really began to annoy me. Everything about my entrapment did. My only reprieve from the pain was my own mind and the imagination that stemmed from there. Whenever I did wake up from the slumber, I would press for morphine from the analgesia pumps and send myself right back down into that nameless nothingness. It soon became my escape from the prison of reality. It became entertainment, morphing into addiction. The longer I slept, the more vivid and surreal my dreams became. I soon lost interest in the outside world and ultimately my mind retreated in on itself. I lived in a realm of pure delusion, no longer considering being a part of reality. In my mind, my dreams were real and I no longer had to suffer. All I had to do was stay in them. This must have gone on for a very long time. I must have been edging on being comatose for months. Then, things began to change. I remember after one dose, I closed my eyes seemingly for the last time. I had somehow found a way to stay under for much longer than usual. I forced myself into a deep and dream-filled sleep. It was long and steady. I slept and slept. The amount of time that had passed was completely indiscernible to me. I just felt like I was just drifting along endlessly in an ocean of infinite time. Then I opened my eyes at some point, maybe for the first moment in months. When I opened them again, I was faced with the searing halogen burn of the ward's ceiling lights, their glare cutting downward into my retinas. I squinted and looked away for reprieve, but as I laid there, my eyes slowly adjusting and taking in the surroundings once more, I realized something was wrong. Everything was not in its correct position. It was not the ward I was accustomed to. It was no longer filled with hurrying doctors and unresponsive patients in other beds. There was something bizarre about it all now, and at first I figured it was just a dream. Yet it was not. There was a schism in the building. What is it?
What's going on? Even the old man was gone. I blearily looked across and noticed something in the center of the room. Some kind of hole in the ground. It took on the appearance of a meteorite crater. A mound of broken tiles and earth surrounded it. When I fully realized what I was looking at, I recoiled and didn't know what to do with myself. I dared not go near it in the beginning, but I guess an hour had passed and I decided I must have a look. I remember somehow rolling out of the bed and crawling across the room and towards the shaft. I dragged my weary body across the cold tiles with a groan. Once at its edge, I peered down into absolute blackness, yawning abyssal night. From the bottom, there was an eerie draft or a hole that seemed to want to tempt me in. I was down on my stomach as I stared down into that horrifying void. Drool fell from my sedated mouth as I looked down with my emaciated arms folded over each other. The pit below me was like the bottom of the ocean. It sloped down and backward like a dreadful mine shaft. After some time pondering, realizing I had nothing really to lose, I went in. I crawled in all the way and as I did so, I had the sensation of going down the U-bend of a giant toilet. Once I was in completely, I turned around to face the way back up to the hospital ward. It was no longer there. The light from the infirmary seemed to disappear behind me and I saw no choice but to continue moving forward in the utter blackness. It felt as if the tunnel was breathing all around me. The noise made me wonder if I was crawling down the throat of a great animal. A humming that almost resembled an engine idling was emanating from further down the shaft. At this point, I realized I was trapped. It didn't seem to matter anyway. I couldn't move backwards, even if I wanted to. Anything was better than that damned hospital ward. As I moved forward in the darkness, the dirt under my hands and knees gradually became oddly soft and furry, resembling some kind of moss. I suddenly began to feel weak, weaker than normal. My crawling became slower and my breathing was heavy and labored. It felt as if I was drawing in part oxygen and part sand. I tried to push on, but soon I could go no further and stopped altogether. My body felt so enervated of strength that I had to lay down on the soft pulsing moss below me. It was moving as if it were a floor of worms. I could not advance, even if I had wanted to. I remember feeling very confused, yet I was not frightened. I had no idea what was going on, but it didn't seem to matter anymore. The humming continued, and chimes of some unseen metallic objects became louder and louder. I soon felt myself swirling around as if I was in a pool of thick, salty water. My skin tingled, and eventually, I lost all feeling in my limbs. I didn't know how long I was in that pit. All I really knew was the floor fell away. Then I fell away, too, into something abyssal. A vortex. Down there, whatever it was, in that swirling nothingness, I had the unyielding feeling of life repeating itself. Ad infinitum. It was as if I had been there before. Like I had always been there. And I slid down further into a deeper darkness. A different kind. It was warm. No names anymore. I was no longer a body but some kind of abstract essence or even merely an idea of a human. 
the waves of oblivion rolled over me endlessly and everything about me departed forever. This went on for what I perceived as eons. I had traveled time and space itself. Then came a light at the end of the blackness, pulsing energy. It unfurled before me and I began to float through it as if I were on rails. The light was a tunnel of swelling colors, orange, green, red. I moved towards it. Then something snapped in my brain. It felt like rope giving way, a horrible rough tear somewhere in my thoughts. Something within my synapses buckled, and once more, I was aware. Somehow, I came back. The same as in the hospital, I opened my eyes slowly to face the ceiling. I was laying on my back. Dull amber bled into my vision. But there was something different now. There was a loathsome smell of sulfur crawling its way up my nostrils. The ceiling was no longer a clean white tiling. It was thick wrought iron sheets fastened in place with rivets now. I sat up in the bed, looked around, and imagined myself to be in the bowels of a submarine. Where the hell am I? was my first thought. I bolted upright in the bunk and looked around. It was dirty and dusty, only a desk and a metal chair. The walls were rusted and corroding and everything had the stench of death. I was wearing a set of faded blue overalls with boots that looked like they were salvaged from the bottom of the ocean. My head was absent of hair, and my hands were battered and scarred. I looked around in stunned amazement. Then someone came into the room. They knocked first on the heavy bulkhead door and did not wait for a response. The person who came in was a strange-looking and pale humanoid figure. They said their name was Akron. They gestured for me to stand up, and after a brief visual examination... They then asked me to follow them out into the hallway of this bizarre and rusting labyrinth of industrial shafts and tunnels and air vents. I blearily followed behind Akron, trying to snap myself out of this nightmare. That was what I hoped it was anyway. Where am I? I asked as I followed him. Beg your pardon? Akron replied over his shoulder. I mean, where am I? What is this place? Are you skunked in the head? Akron said. I don't understand. The blur of nameless humanoids swam by me in the hallways. They looked smooth and unclean. They all worn an amalgamation of ceramic and neoprene that had the appearance of bodysuits designed to be an extra layer of skin. No one has hair anymore. All their features are strangely rounded and soft. From what I can glean, there are no more defining features between men and women. They just all look the same. Look, for fuck's sake, can you just tell me what this place is? I barked. You're in the last cube, friend. This is all that's left, and we will not tolerate obscenities here. I shuddered at the sentence. What is the last cube? This is the last redoubt, the final bastion against those out there. When I looked across at them, I realized their face had tightened and contorted. What's out there? I asked. Everything, Akron said, and their eyes glazed over with a horrible gray awareness. You really don't know where you are, do you? 
No, Jesus fucking Christ. What year is it? We honestly don't know. But our scientists estimate, using the Christian clock, that it is the century of 6100. With that, I stopped walking and fell against the railings of the walkway and sobbed. Oh, no, no, no. I had a wife. We lived together in a house. There was sun. There was the sea. What the fuck is this place? I shrieked in protest and clawed at my uniform. Acron stood over me like a wall of stone. I don't know what world you're referring to, but this is it. This is all that has ever been. That's not true. What about the Romans? What about the British Empire? What about the dinosaurs? I panted. You've lost me completely, Akron said with a confused frown. This plane has always been shrouded in night. That's all there's ever been. That's all there ever will be. That's not true. I fucking remember it. A common symptom from the wake-up procedure. So, you're saying I've been artificially awoken? We found you in the Twilight Lands and brought you back here. It took days to stabilize you. And now you've awoken, you can't seem to comprehend the reality you're in. As I said, a common symptom of the wake-up procedure. No, fuck you, this isn't real. I screamed and tried to stand up. Akron had no words. They simply looked down at me with pity. I'm not sure where you have come from. I don't know what you know, but this is where you are. So you better deal with it, or the higher order are going to carve you up and toss your body to the pits. You understand me? We're all hungry, friend, but there's no room for abstraction. If you don't tug the line, then they'll use you for something else. I closed my eyes and sobbed some more. Akron told me there is no light left up there. It's only darkness. At some point in the past millennia, the sun died. The world fell into eternal night, and with it, grotesque entities bred and grew up there. Things that should not exist now move around in the tattered remnants of Earth. Sometimes those things try to come down here and feast upon what remains of humanity. It's all too much to comprehend if I'm being honest with myself. As I write this, I do not know what is real and what isn't anymore. Yet they tell me that the world above is dead and we must stay down here to stay alive. Nothing makes sense to me. I wonder if my old life ever existed. Is this life just a dream, and am I still in that wretched bed? I am positive my old life was real, but I must acknowledge the possibility that I may never know now. It has been a week since I woke up here, and Orion, the bunker's leader, demands that I go to work in the protein farms. So, I must. Tonight, I shall force myself back into that sleeping state to find out the truth. I long for the day when I wake up and see her face again. Yet, I don't know if that day will ever come or if it ever existed. I don't even know my real name. All I know, I only dream of tunnels now.
I hope you enjoyed tonight's tale, A Dream of Tunnels, by Hank Belbin. Hank Belbin is a horror author and screenwriter from Southampton, England. Primarily focusing on cosmic horror, Hank has had several short stories published on online magazines and is working on publishing his second novel set in Dartmoor, England. He has published two full-length plays that have been successful runs at Edinburgh Fringe Festival and also published a literary fiction novel called Moonland. The story is about a struggling actor living in London who falls in with drugs and kidnapping. For more details, go to www.hankbelbin.com. That's H-A-N-K-B-E-L-B-I-N.com. If you enjoyed tonight's story, hosted by yours truly, Paul J. McSorley, you can search my name on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for additional previous stories. If you'd like to hear more lengthy tales, be sure to take a look at my audiobooks. Available now on audible.com or just visit paulsbooks.net. That's P-A-U-L-S-B-O-O-K-S dot net. You can also find me personally on Facebook and Twitter. And with that, listeners, our weekly journey into the psyche has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And while you're at it, please remember to stop by our Apple Podcast page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and subscribe. The charts are based on subscriptions, not listens. So if you haven't subscribed yet, I'd really appreciate it. I'm your host for Fear from the Heartland, Paul J. McSorley. I've enjoyed the titillation tonight. Ooh, there's that word again. Thank you for joining me. Hope to see you again next week at Fear from the Heartland.